Hi everyone, I'm Kara Scott and welcome to The Heart of Poker sponsored by A to Day Poker, a podcast that looks into the personal side of the poker personalities that we often see on our screens. I use a modified list of the questions from the 36 questions to fall in love study developed about 25 years ago by psychologists as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love with a kind of shortcut for getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. My guest this time is poker player and commentator and my friend, David Tuckman. Now, David has been the voice of so much of the live and online poker content that we love to watch from being the voice you love to listen to, breaking down hands and chatting with players for hours and hours and hours of poker during the World Series in Vegas, to being an OG podcaster and player and the voice of 8 Day Poker live and online streams. Now, David has just this most incredible unflagging energy. I honestly don't know how he does it. And he even makes those like really late hours after days and days and days of coverage feel fresh and exciting. And it's, in my opinion, one of his true talents and something that I really admire. And people don't know just how much skill and experience that takes. And I'm so glad that he's come on. Thank you so much for coming on, David. My pleasure, uh, despite the fact that uh, you, you put Nick in front of me. But I get it. Listen, you and Nick Welthall go way, way yeah. back. And uh, I always knew that he was first <laughs> in your heart. And that's okay with me. I, I'm okay. I, if I can be second, it's fine. I mean, he let me perform his wedding. You have to name at least a dog after me. I Like something. Even a, like one of your pigs. Just something, man. Well, we have a puppy coming. so That's true. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I'd have to talk to the wife, but we'll see. Hey, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I could be lucky. Um, we've known each other for like a really long time at this point. And I love the fact that we kind of just keep ending up working together. And, you know, World Series, 8 at 8. We just kind of, I don't know, Poker World is small, but it's not that small. It's nice that we bump into each other a lot. Yeah, the world seems to get bigger and bigger. By the year, it's it's great to see that poker uh, is is not dead, mm. um, and that people, have, you know, it just feels like the world's getting bigger and it's getting younger, and there's so much more energy that's coming into it, and there are so many different ways to break into it, whether you're a player, a personality, a creator. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty amazing that you and I <laughs> seem to cross paths more often than not. Yeah. And all over the world too. And I mean, you talk about energy, so be honest, where does your energy come from? Because I, like, I have known you for a really long time and your approach to the game still is like that boundless enthusiasm. It's like one of the puppies in your house. <laughs> I swear you've got more enthusiasm for the game than almost anyone I know. How do you do that? I don't, I mean, I wish I had like an easy answer. I mean, I think I'm a naturally a pretty energetic person. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously just part of my personality. But okay, so many years ago, I was doing a play with Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall of like, you know, Laverne and Shirley fame. That, oh, wow. that Gary Marshall. So I was doing a play. It was a children's play. It was a musical. And uh, he, before one of our shows, he would come and talk to the cast. And he would talk about, and we do the same show, you know, each and every week and everything for kids and for their parents. Um, and it was a very fun, interactive show. And, and he, he sat and he, he talked to all of us and he talked about how our approach to theater and our approach to live theater should be such that 
you never know who's going to be seeing you for the very first time and for the mm-hmm. only time. And you want to make sure that they you give them your best so they can oh. see that. Um, and it just stuck yeah. with me. It was when I first moved out to LA. It was before I got into poker. But it was something that just kind of stuck with me as, you know, like, yeah, you know what? This, that, that seven-year-old has never seen me do this before. So right. yeah, this is old for me and maybe I'm a little bit bored and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm hungover <laughs> from the night before or whatever it might have been um, as I was in my 20s in LA. But I was like, you know what? That seven-year-old has never seen me before. So I want to make sure that he sees the best that I can be today. Mm. And I guess that's just kind of stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you're saying that poker players are basically like children. I get it. I hear you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, you're trying to be enthusiastic for them. No, I, I mean, I joke, but I think you do a really great job of it. And it is genuinely one of the things as someone who works on the broadcasting side, I could not do what you do. And sometimes I'm in the booth with you and I love that, but I know that you're carrying it and that's why I love it. You know, like the, it's like such a low pressure situation for me and you just seem to do it very naturally. So kudos to you. And now Thank I've you. given you so many compliments that you can't bring up the fact that I, I had Nick on the show again first before you. So I feel, I feel like I've done that, right? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Okay, good. Yeah, okay, you, good. You've, you've, blown enough, <laughs> you've blown enough smoke up my ass that, you know, nice. we're all good. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning. This is a, kind of a strange podcast interview sort of format. Like I said, it gets to be a little bit personal, but let's start out with a bit more like general overview of where you came from, especially before poker. Um, for those people who just know you from your poker content, you do so much more. I mean, you're heavily involved in sports, you're an actor, all of that. So can you kind of just give us a little, a little rundown on how you got to this point? Wow. Um, yeah. Well, the whole question is like in four minutes, give me the highlights of your life, which right. I find it's, like a difficult question to ask. So, <laughs> right. It's funny. I just watched uh, White Lotus 2, by the way, for any of you out there, highly recommend White Lotus. Oh, yeah. Really entertaining. Anyway, so I just watched White Lotus 2, and it was great because uh, two of the characters were just talking, and he's like, well, tell me basically whatever long story but anyway the, one of the characters goes to the other character goes okay well tell me tell me the story what's going on and she starts it off with like well i was born and he's like oh <laughs> we're going way back okay and it was just <laughs> kind of funny um anyway yeah i mean i uh i'm originally from new york and you know i went to college in new york and i moved out to la to I don't even know why I really moved to LA, to be honest. I mean, I think something was calling me. I had an ex-girlfriend that lived out there. So I had kind of a, you know, I had, and, and we were really close and I was close to their family, uh-huh. but I kind of wanted to change and I moved mm-hmm. out to LA and um, I started doing a little bit of acting and I started doing a little bit of writing. Um, and wow. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like from the beginning, I'm, I'm not young. So it's like, there's a lot, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I moved out to LA and I actually lived in a fraternity house during the summer. Cause I moved out here in May and the frat house was empty in, it was UCLA huh? and I had no money. I mean, I moved out here with like $1,500 to my name total in a car. <laughs> that was it. So, and most of that money was spent on the trip out here and I got out here and I found a room I could rent this for the summer. I got a frat house room for 300 bucks. 
That was probably uh, a really nice room. I'm going to, I'm going to guess. <laughs> I mean, listen, it was a, it was a huge fraternity house. So I had, you know, it was shared bathrooms, but there was a kitchen there mm-hmm. and I got to kind of like see people and I was living in Westwood, which was, which was pretty sweet. Um, and you know, I was in my like early twenties. So, you know, That's it was living fun. A life. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I got to hang out with like, you know, basically other college kids and maybe I was like a year and a half removed from college. Mm hmm. So, and $300 for the summer seemed about right to me. <laughs> so yeah, I moved out there and, and I, uh, I, I got a, a job. The only thing I knew how to do really at this point was, you know, bartends. And so I was bartending out here and somebody told me, it was funny. Somebody told me about the, uh, we were talking poker and I'd always played poker my whole life. And somebody mentioned, oh, you'd love this place. And they mentioned Commerce Casino. Oh, yeah, out of the blue. Wow. And so I would like once in a while I would go, you know, if I had like after work, I, I would have like, you know, seventy dollars in my pocket from tips. <laughs> so I would go down there and I would play poker. And, you know, this is way back when, you know, like pre poker boom even. And, you know, I was doing that and I got an agent and I was doing some acting and I found some some success in acting, uh, enough success to actually get like SAG healthcare. Uh-huh which is a pretty fucking big deal. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, everybody yeah. tries to get that. If, if you don't yeah, know that listening, that is like, you know, as an actor, if you were working on the screen at all or, you know, theater, or I suppose as well, you need this. <laughs> yeah, that was the goal. It was, you know, a lot of people I knew got work and everything, but, you know, to back then, like the day rate might've been like, I don't know, $500. Right. But to get SAG healthcare, you had to make like 10,000 a year. Mm. So it was a huge, huge goal. And I got SEG Healthcare and their healthcare system, their healthcare is amazing, by the way. Um, anyway, so I got that and that was like cool. And I was doing some writing and um, and that was happening. And, and um, you know, I was dating and not nothing serious, you know, just basically in tw- as a 20, you know, 25 year old, just living the life in LA, partying and auditioning and uh, yeah. I don't know. That sounds fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was definitely, that was when I got all my party out. I mean, I feel like Mm. everybody in life needs some time in their life where they're just like insanely crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Some people do it in their thirties. Some people do it in their teens. For me, it was very much like early mid twenties LA. Mm. Nice. So then when did it become more poker for you? Um, so I was like always in and out of jobs cause I would, you know, you'd bartender, you'd wait tables. And then if you got an audition that would conflict, right? I would just quit my job and I would go to the audition and then I get a new job and rinse and repeat. Uh, and then I, I, I like randomly, so I was playing poker and I was dating this girl and she kind of started getting into poker too. Like she like just, she like just jumped in full. So it became really easy to like play with her. And I started getting better and I started playing more money. And I was like, well, what the hell am I waiting tables for? This is boring. Yeah. But I still considered myself like an actor and a writer and I wanted to write and everything. And my buddy moved out here from New York um, and he was my writing partner. We were writing scripts together, but it was really convenient because I could play poker whenever I wanted. And I would make like, you know, I was playing like 1530 limit. Uh, and I would make like four or five hundred dollars, huh. and I was like, "Okay, this is much better than waiting tables." Oh yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was at the point where, like, you know, I, I didn't need to like bartend to get laid anymore. 
So <laughs> I was kind of like, because I had a girlfriend. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, hey. So it was really convenient. And uh, then I uh, I was playing at the bike a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I became friends with Robert Turner, who's known as like Chip Burner Turner. He's like one of the old school, basically one of the old school fish from back in the day. <laughs> um, who did who did well in a couple of tournaments and everything like that. But you don't get the nickname Chip Burner Turner for nothing. Mm. And he, uh, we were talking about like I found out like what propping was, and I right. had no idea what a prop was. And you know, for anybody who doesn't know that, it's basically the casino pays you to play poker. Um, but yeah, you're it's not a shady thing. It always sounds shady when people describe what it is, but it's like you're starting games. You're, you know. Yeah, you're basically you're doing, right. right? The, it, it, the casino makes a lot of money. For a table that's open 24-7, the casino makes a lot of money. Yeah. So they are incentivized to make sure that people are there at like 10 in the morning <laughs> so to get the game going. Because once the game mm. is going, it's fine. But, you know, obviously when you're a prop, once the game gets full, a lot of times they pull the prop out to start another game. Right. Um. So, but it's, I, I almost kind of feel like it's an apprenticeship to being a pro because oh. you are getting paid. You have healthcare, which is nice. You have hours, um, you know, you have to play in all sorts of different games and you have to play different games. And oh. I started doing that and I started propping. And then, uh, you know, from then, like I was doing that for a little while and then live at the bike started. And then obviously my entire, my entire like career turned upside down. Yeah. Was there a moment where you were like, this is it now? This is like poker is just what I'm going to be doing. No, no, never, never. I mean, I still, I, I still haven't had that moment. <laughs> yeah, you do other things as well. It's hard to remember because you're like constantly on the airwaves for poker, but you actually do other things outside of the game. It's wild. I try to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love, I mean, listen, you, you mentioned, I am really passionate about the game. I love the game of poker, mm. but like anything, I mean, it gets old sometimes, you know, uh, you know, you lose a few days in a row and you have, you're in run bad and you're like, yeah. oh, I hate this game, <laughs> you know, or, you know, you cover a final table that's just really boring and you're <laughs> like, oh, what am I doing? You know, I want to do yeah. something else. So I, I think it's important to kind of have a nice balance. Yeah. I think yeah. I think it's really difficult for poker players because there's no schedule per se. Right. It's that whole thing about being your own boss too, like and That's how hard. much of a tat. Yeah, it's really hard. Like do you give yourself time off when you need it? Probably not. <laughs> right. I mean, or do I you don't. do you take or do you take too much time off when you don't need it? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, so. yeah, I get that. Okay. Well, see, I love that. And I love getting a little bit more of your story kind of heading into poker. And now we're going to kind of head away from it because this is the more sort of personal side of things. And let's start with, um, I like that by the way. uh, Oh, good. (laughs) I feel like, well, I feel like I've been on so many podcasts and I've been interviewed so many times because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fucking deal. Um, totally. I can't believe I got you to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean, lucky. Thank you. Uh, but no, I mean, I feel like I've, you know, you've, if you've been in poker for long enough and I'm sure like, obviously you're the same way. Right. You've told your poker story. Yeah, for sure. And it starts to feel times. just like a story almost. Like you've said it so many times and it just kind of gets a little cemented in. Like the ruts are kind of there. You just follow along and it's not as interesting. And for me, what I really love to find out about people is more like the personal side. Like, do you believe in love at first sight? Do you? You're such a romantic. Like I would characterize you as a romantic, I think, David. I, I'm an absolute hopeless romantic. Totally. Um, 
Uh, do I believe in love at first sight? Yeah. That's a tough uh, one. Okay, true story. I mean, if we're yeah, I mean, I, I, I essentially fell in love with you on first sight. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna make you uncomfortable. No, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing you at God, where were we? We were at that snake bar. Mm. Yes, we were in Dortmund. There you go. We were in, in the Dortmund. Early, we're at like, a 2000s. snake bar. <laughs> you were dating God, who are you dating? You were dating SP Rugby, right? Oh, I may have been at the time. Right. And I was dating this British girl, and I swear I fell in love with you that day. Oh my god! Like that day, I was like, okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I do. I mean, wow. I think there's there is that for sure. Oh, uh-huh. okay. That's so funny because I was I remember I was holding a big yellow cobra. I'm not even sure what it was. We were literally you know, like there were snakes everywhere in this bar, yeah. and they were and having a party. And I still have the tickets dubbed to the party because it was such a cool like from I dusk loved to. It. From dusk no, till dawn. the titty twister. That's what they called it. It was the titty twister. Oh, I thought it was – okay. I made, the, made that. But James Hardigan was absolutely terrified. I was there with James Hardigan. Oh, my God. And Hardigan – and we were covering the tournament, and Hardigan was deathly afraid, like not joking, like deathly afraid of snakes. Wow. I remember that. Oh, man. I got up on stage. I have a picture of myself holding it across my shoulders and just yeah. thinking, how is this my life? Like we just finished this whole, it was an EPT and I was working for them at the time I was hosting it that season. And I was just like, what is my life? This is wild to me. Like, how did I get to this point where I'm in the titty twister bar for this? Yeah. Weird dust till dawn party. Um, with all of these people holding a snake after many, a yeah, many, many drinks later, it was, oh God, uh, so yeah, that was, I think that was 111 years ago. Yeah. I think it might've been, <laughs> it, <felt like. laughs> it kind of feels like it. Jesus. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, this is a weird question. Go. I'm going to give you one of the weird ones that I don't, cause, cause you and I are friends. I feel like I can, I can ask you some of these that I don't normally slide into the podcast. Anything please. Do AMA. you, yeah. Do you have a secret hunch about how you're going to die? Oh God. That's a weird one, right? I don't know what I would even answer to that. I, I mean, no, I think. I did not, by the way, I did not prepare any of these answers. So, oh, good. Um, thank you. No, I didn't even know. Um, so do I have a secret hunch of how I'm <laughs> going to die? <sighs> so dark. Yeah, no, I like dark. Dark is good. I don't. I don't. I mean, I could make one up on a spot, but I don't have one. Mm. Um, well, that's probably for the best. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my, so my ex-wife, grandfather, who is a very well-known, acclaimed actor, Sir John Mills, mm-hmm. died in the most beautiful way. We, uh, he died, you know, he was an old man. He was very, very old in his late 90s. And his grandchildren and his, his, most of his kids were all around him. And they were like just talking and holding hands and I remember one of his one of his grandchildren, this kid, a uh, guy named Crispian, who I love to death. He's a musician. Um, they they started doing they started he was t- doing Shakespeare with him, oh. as and, as they held hands, and he, he he had his last breath. And I remember Crispian telling me the story, and I'm wow. going, I want to die that way. Can I, can I yeah. sign up for that, please? Now, wow, surrounded um, by people a, you love in that yeah. kind of lovely, gentle way, transition. I did have a morbid thought that if I died, part of me wants to die where I'm like, I have no idea it's coming. Yeah. Like no idea it's coming. But then I thought, oh, how, 
awfully dramatic that could be and, and traumatic should that would be for my my family right I die in that matter. that so changes like, everything obviously oh, I, don't, I don't want to do that um so yeah huh i mean i know yeah. how i want to die but i don't know how i will die that's for the best i don't think these are <laughs> things we're supposed to know so <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. would you want to know oh god no Absolutely you wouldn't want to know not. like if like somebody said to you like hey you're gonna die when you're you know you're 89 years old and this is how it's going to happen. You wouldn't want to know now to have like an idea of like, okay, cool. Um, Listen, I've got, I've got this many years left. Let me figure this out. Because do you actually have that many years left? Even if you know when you're going to die, you have no idea what the quality of your life will be or how healthy you'll be at the end. And all of those things play into it too. So I think having that incomplete information might make me do things wrong. I don't know. Like I'd make bad choices that I wouldn't have made otherwise. I just, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't listen, I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, I cry at commercials. I, I literally, mm-hmm. I, I read an article this morning that my wife sent me called, you know, the bridge dog about basically when you, when you have, when you have a dog that's going to die or close right. to, do you get a bridge dog? Do you get the young puppy to like bring in? Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this and, you know, it was really beautifully written. It was in the New Yorker and, and it immediately, immediately made me think of my dog that passed away when I was living in, in England. Um, and still like the first real creature that I actually loved. Right. Uh, and, and I, I started like, I started tearing up and I was like, are you, f- oh. and I was like, I'm like talking to myself. I'm like, Tuckman, pull it fucking together. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, really? But like, I remember like reading Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if you know that mm-hmm. book. I do. So, and like, it talks about, I mean, that book, obviously, it, it, it really spoke to me, but it was so interesting in that book how Maury was able to plan his death, right? And like right. plan last year. So I wonder sometimes, I'm like, would it be better? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's pros and cons both ways, but for the most part, we're not supposed to know. I think that's healthier. I do. Yeah. Probably I true. don't know. I think so. All right. Let's go to family since we're talking a little bit about family, but talking about your family of birth rather than your wife and your wonderful children. Um, if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Uh, that's always a really weird question because it's like, you know, if you could change anything in your life, what would you change? And you go, yeah, but everything, everything that happened in my life has taken me to this spot right here. Yeah. So would I change where I am right now? You know? Um, and, and the answer is probably no, like I know I love where I am right now, but that said, yeah, there are things like my dad wasn't really around right. too much. Like he's a loving dad, but he like work was, you know, work was important to him. Right. Um, and then on the weekends when he had time off, like, you know, playing golf with his buddies was important to him. Playing cards with his buddies was important to him. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, I had a really, really special relationship with my mom. Both my parents are still alive, but mm-hmm. um, I had an amazing relationship with my mom because I played ice hockey. So my mom was the one who took me to all these places um, and she would drive me to games and practices. And we just developed this amazing relationship. And to this day, like my mom and I are still like, I, I don't think there's anybody in the world who has a relationship with my mother like I do, you know, um, like when she, when she was suffering through depression and stuff, like everybody else was trying to cater to her. And I'm like on the phone, I'm like, I'm not, no, like suck it up and get the fuck up and let's go, you know? And we just connected. Um, And Mm. we talk about this all the time, but my dad, yeah, I mean, like I love my dad and and he's a very generous man, um, but he just wasn't there. Right. 
You know, it's like it, a different generation of fatherhood and fathers and very like much so. Very yeah. different from like the father that you are, obviously, with your kids. Yeah, like I remember, like on the weekends, like I would get him, like okay, on a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock, like we would go, you know, either like play tennis or play golf or something like that. Or, mm. you know, let's say I was playing little league. I remember there was one time, like I was having trouble hitting the ball in little league. And like my, I guess my mom probably told my dad, like, so he took me to a batting range, huh. but there were so few moments like that, that I remember every single one vividly. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I mean, if I had to pinpoint one thing, that would probably be it. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had a temper and he passed that on to me. Really? And, I, it's something that I've had to deal with and I've like tried to, cause I understand. And I don't think he ever has like, again, a different generation. We're just like, you know, well, oh, this is who I am. Deal with it. Yeah. You know, I fix, <laughs> well, why would I fix anything? I'm fine. Um, but yeah. I guess, you know, growing up, I realized I'm like, no, this is a problem. I, I need to, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to pass this on to my boys. Right. Um, you know, I want to stop this now. You know, and I understand like he got it from his dad or his mom, who knows, you know, and yeah. I get it, you know, but I like to think that we can each evolve. Like, so hopefully I evolve a little bit from my dad and, yeah. you know, hopefully my, my boys are better than I am. Yeah. That's kind of, I think all we can hope for as parents. I, something I think about myself, like we have very different challenges than our parents had. Um, like they had some, they had a completely different world to raise their kids in and the, the role models that they had were even more on that spectrum. Like the, you know, authoritative parental, all of that, like not having that kind of affectionate relationship with your kids. Like that's such a modern idea, having affectionate relationships with your kids. And it blows my mind when I think about how modern it actually is. Like, and I, like you as a parent, I just really hope that, I can instill in my daughter because I'm only going to have the one because, oh my God, it's a lot of work um, that, you know, you can kind of go in a different path and figure that out for yourself. And you're probably going to be like your parents no matter what you do, <laughs> but you can kind of decide how and when and, you know, that's my sister's, that. my sister's greatest fear. Mm. She always goes, she goes, I don't want to turn into mom. And I go, well, every time you think that and say it, you become more and more like mom. Yeah. Cause she probably oh. said that too. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. And having, I, I, have, having I have no become, doubt. Yeah. Having become a mom, I have a whole new kind of renewed appreciation for my mom and what she went through and like having three kids in Northern Alberta and for a while living in a camper on the back of a truck with a dog, you know, and I was still, I don't know, like four years old. So I was like peeing the bed and we were all sleeping together and it was just a nightmare. And I do not know how she did it. I still don't know how she did it. And I think I remember yeah. hearing your story, like when you and I would walk through Sao Paulo or wherever, <laughs> and we actually had our real, you know, a heart to heart. Yeah. We, we probably should have just recorded that day to be honest. Um, but, and, and hearing so much about your life that I didn't know, like I knew you and I considered you a friend, but I didn't mm. know you. And it was like that day I was like, Oh my, I had no idea who you I have no idea who you are and who you were. Yeah. So it just was very, very eye opening. I remember when, uh, when I, when I had my, when my first boy was born, I remember telling my dad and I, I don't, I don't know why I said it, but I just said it maybe to be sweet or something. And I just said, I said, dad, I hope I'm, I hope I'm, ha- I hope I'm, I'm, 
I'm a half as good as you were. Oh. And my dad just laughed at me. Like, yeah, there was at least some <laughs> acknowledgement. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, you're going to be a way better dad than I was. Yeah. Like, and, and, and in my head, I was like, of course I am. I know I am. But I was like, I don't know why I said it. Like, just utter bullshit. Yeah. But I said it to him and he came back and just laughed. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> at least we're on the same page. Yeah. Okay. Well, thinking about all of that, what do you think one of your most treasured memories is? It could be like childhood or it could be recently. Is there something that's kind of like a mental happy place for you? Oh, I have, I have so many, you know, nice. like my, my, I happy, love that. my happy Gilmore moments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have so, so many, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, the, the birth of my, my, my first boy. And I tell him this all the time. And I said, you know, the day you were born is the best day of my life. Yeah. Like, uh, there's just, I, I still remember, <laughs> I still remember that the, uh, the doctor, um, at this point, Phineas is not yet out. Okay. Right. But <laughs> You know, my wife's legs are spread and the baby is moments <laughs> away from coming out. Um, and there's there's a dozen interns in the room who are all looking on. And it's I, I don't know how women do it. Um, all the respect in the world. <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to count and telling and I'm counting terribly. And then Dr. Gupta looks up at me and goes. I can see his head. I can see his hair. Do you want to touch him? And I looked at her in horror and I just go, no, I'll wait until he's out. <laughs> I was like, what? No, no, no. He, I mean, he's, he's going to be out in a minute, right? And sure enough, he was. But that was, yeah. I mean, like I have pictures of, you know, obviously holding him and, uh, and it's just, I mean, I, I don't know how my face didn't break. The smile was so big. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have, like I said, I mean, I have dozens of amazing memories, like with my grandfather who, you know, we called Papa Sai, who I loved. Um, he died when I was pretty young. I was only mm -hmm. 13 years old, but he was like my best friend growing up. Like I loved him to death. Again, my dad wasn't around all the time. Like my dad wasn't uh -huh. a deadbeat dad at any stretch. Okay. Right. Yeah. He but put he a house was a over... dad of that era. That's... Exactly. He yeah. was there, you know, and just exactly. Yeah. Um, but like my grandfather, I have amazing stories of him. Like, you know, I remember, I still remember like going to the racetrack with him and, and that was like so special to me. And he'd show me these horses and I'd go, and I remember like in the mornings he would take me, he, he used to work on these sites. Um, he wasn't an architect, but I think he like, he, he was like the foreman or something. Like he ran the construction site. Oh. Um, so I would go there, but he would like, we'd go to this greasy spoon diner and I would have this huh. like buttery toast, which I swear the buttery toast at a diner, it, yeah. it's like food from God. That's just the best thing in the world. <laughs> and I would have that with my, my Papa Sai and, uh, you know, he died, like I said, he died at a young age and, and, uh, he was like my best friend. I loved him to death. Oh. Um, so that like those memories and like, you know, I can come up with a million like hockey memories and all that. But yeah, I mean, nothing trumps like, you know, the birth of my first right. son. It was just like, 
Yeah, it's everything. a hell of a moment. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it is a hell of a moment. I think that says that says it best. It's, it really is. I remember after I had uh, my little girl, and then I don't know how long it lasted because just time means nothing at that point. And then they said to me, you know, we're going to have to actually sedate you because. Uh, we have to go in because, you know, there's something a little bit wrong, but not terrible. It's nothing to worry about. And I was just like, oh, thank God, please put me to sleep. I am fucking exhausted. <laughs> and everybody else was like terrified. And I was just like, it's good. Take her out of my, it's fine. Take her out of my arms. I'm just going to have a little nap and I'll see you all in half an hour. And it was fine. And everyone's like, it's such a special moment. And I was like, it is, but it's exhausting. Like, yeah, yeah. I felt like I missed some of the magic and I've had it now. Obviously I have in my, my you mind. Missed, you missed nothing. You missed nothing. Yeah. In fact, okay, so coming off that story, I'll tell you. Mm. So somebody, somebody, I don't know who, told Molly, my wife, and, yeah. and the mother of my, my boys, told her that whatever you do, don't let the baby out of your sight. Right. Worst <laughs> advice ever, okay? <laughs> like worst advice ever. But in the moment, she took it. And who am I to argue with you know, a woman at this point of her life, you just don't do it. Um, mm. So she was like, no, I, I'm, I'm, I, I need, I need, I need our boy here. So, you know, they would come in and they would, you know, and he's always there and, you know, he's just born. So he's crying. Right. And Molly's labor was like 18 and a half hours long. Oh. So we're both exhausted and she's, you know, 10 times more exhausted than I am, obviously, but we're both <laughs> exhausted. And I finally just begged her because they kept saying, like, you know, we can take him and put him in, in the, you know, in the, in the infant ward. Right. Just so you can get a, like, a, you know, get like an hour nap. Right. And she finally relented. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and they, and they, they, they took our sweet little boy away and we got. And she had I don't a nap. Know, yeah. We got, we got an hour of that, which an hour then felt like 15 hours now. Oh, it's That miraculous. was like so necessary. Yeah. Um, but Man, I kept wanting advice. them to do that. And because I mean, I had, I had Ella in Slovenia and I don't speak Slovenian. Um, so that was a problem. And they have these rules there that uh, you can't have any visitors except for, I think it was two hours a day and it can only be the, the father and that's it. So I couldn't have like my translator who was my midwife come in. I couldn't have any of that. And they don't take- Wait a second. <laughs> Wait, your husband couldn't stay there the whole time with you? He could only be there two hours a day? That's right. So oh as soon my. as, yeah, as soon as I had her, they basically whisked him away and were like, sorry, she's got to go to her, to the ward now. And that's it. And so I was just on this like weirdly eerily silent ward with these three other women, like, and I couldn't talk to any of them. And I had this baby and I couldn't talk to the nurses. And it was just the most surreal experience. I think, yeah, in terms of like magic, <laughs> I definitely didn't get the magic side of it, but I mean, like I said, she is just the most incredible kid. And yeah. I think she's honestly just like a ridiculously cool person. And I'm super glad she's here, but the way she came in was a weird would not suggest. We always forget, people. by the way, it's amazing. I mean, obviously you traveled a lot. I've traveled a lot. We've been fortunate enough to see many different perspectives on how to live life. And it's always amazing when I think of that because you know, obviously I was there for the entire 18 hour labor. Right. And I didn't leave. Yeah. Until we all left together. Right. Now, That's second child to me. Yeah. Second child was much different, but yeah, I mean, and back in, again, speaking a different era, like my dad, I don't know, my dad, since especially I was the second child in our family, my dad was probably playing golf that day. 
<laughs> and, you know, it was like, okay, I'll be there in a few hours and probably just waited in the waiting room. But nowadays, right. like, especially here in the States, like the dad is like in the room the entire time, like doesn't yeah. leave. And then, you know, like That's I said, for so second weird. child, it was different because I was, you know, I was there for the birth and then I had to go home to be with our other, our older boy. And then the next day, which is also a pretty magical moment when I brought him in to meet his brother for the first time. Right. That yeah. was like, like he's coming in. He's so excited. He's got balloons. Aww. Like that was the coolest thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. We're going to go from like the nicest thing that you could possibly talk about to, um, have you ever been truly terrified? <sighs> so big change there. Truly terrified. Gosh. Um, I'm sure I have been truly terrified. Um, or do you have a biggest fear? That's I definitely have biggest fears. I have lots of fears. Like, and, yeah. and as I'm getting older, I'm getting more, which are which are really annoying. Yeah. Um, like stupid fears, where I'm actually considering going to like therapy for them. Oh wow! Like it's 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 like like I. Like, you know, I go to the dentist. Um, I, I don't like things in my mouth. I feel like I can't breathe. I get you. I had an actual phobia of dentists for a real, like for maybe 15 years. So terrifying. But, it's, but yeah, but it's gotten to the point where it's like, you know, it's affecting, like it's debilitating. Yeah. Like I go there and I, and I'm like, okay, you know, and I'm, you know, rationally speaking, I'm like, okay, just breathe through your nose. You're fine. But then I, I get into my head mm -hmm. and I start to like... You know, I start to breathe faster and then suddenly I'm like, you know, so it's yeah. definitely like it's it's gotten bad um, mm -hmm. to the point, like I said, I might actually go to therapy because it's just like it's stupid. It's just like like I know. <laughs> listen, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, my God, your fear is dumb. That's a dumb fear. Why do you have this stupid <laughs> fear? Um, but yeah, it's gotten no, like, it ridiculous. comes from somewhere, no matter where it's coming from. It, does, like it could yeah, be something I mean, tiny. It could be something weird. It could be something like that you wouldn't even connect it to. And personally, I'm a big fan of therapy. I think it's a really great idea. And these things come up. And sometimes, yeah, they just need a little bit of unpicking to kind of loosen it up, figure out what it is and where it's from, and then kind of let it go. And I was lucky. I was able to do that with mine after literally like 15 years of terror and like crying myself to into hysterics on every single dentist table. But yeah. It's, yeah, it's, um, hmm. it's, it's, it's not fun. Um, when I was younger, I definitely had a fear of abandonment. Um, yeah. and, and to the point where like, I, I remember breaking down, uh, in front of my ex-wife at one point over it because, and then I, and then I ended up getting more abandonment. There were a few times in my life that I've had to deal with it. Um, I remember when my, my mother who, and I, like I said earlier, we had a very special relationship. She started to go through depression mm. after her mom died. And she had a series of things that happened to her. Uh, and, you know, she was an orphan at this point. She, that's what she considered herself because her dad had died. Yeah. Her mom had died. Um, she was basically only left with one sister who was learning disabled, who she was kind of left to take care of because um, her, her other sister had passed away as well. And she went through depression. And I don't think I don't think I realized how much it affected me because my mom wasn't there anymore. Like the mom that I grew up with wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it was really, really difficult. And I finally just broke down one day because I was like, yeah, I just missed my mom. Oh. Um, and fortunately, she's kind of gotten through it. 
and she's much better now. Mm-hmm. But that was really, really difficult for me. And then when my right a little bit after that, my ex-wife and I, when we uh, when we split up, that was another kind of issue. Like because not only I lost her, but I lost my West Coast family. Uh, like I was really, really close to her mom, and I was really close to her dad yeah. and her whole family. And my family was all East Coast, so they were my family out here. And when I, when my ex-wife and I split up, I lost that whole family, and I felt like I was abandoned all over again. Uh, um, so something I've, I've read a lot of books on it and everything, and it's something I definitely fear. I definitely fear going back to the whole death thing, like right. like growing old and dying alone terrifies me. That yeah. just terrifies me. Like, and it's funny too, because I have zero issue going to a restaurant by myself, like zero. Right. Like I have no issue whatsoever, like going to the movies by myself. Like I'm very happy to like bring a book <laughs> and sit at a diner. And you know, it's like, it's funny when I was younger, I would see like older people doing that and I'd be like, Oh, I feel so bad for them. Right. And no, they're probably having a great time. Like. Yeah. But then the funny thing was like, I did that sometimes too. Like, you know, after I would, after I'd bartend or something, if I just wasn't in the mood to party, I would go to like, there was a, there's a, like a diner near my, near where I live called Swingers, which is kind of a, it's a staple here in LA. People know it. But anyway, I would go there with like a book and I would sit at the counter and I'd have like pancakes and a shake and I would <laughs> read my book and I was really happy. And it just kind of, I, I guess it made me in a spot where it's like, it's funny. Like I'm really okay being alone. Like I have no problem walking through a city, a foreign city by myself, right. but, on the, but it's bizarre that one of my biggest fears is actually growing up alone and old. Wow. Yeah. I think that's such a natural fear, like such a, like a normal thing to worry about. Yeah. I kind yeah. of want, listen, I, I don't know if you feel the same way sometimes. I kind of want to be alone. Like most of the time, but when I want you, when I want somebody else there, I kind of want them there on cue. Yeah. Well, Isn't that yeah. so weird? <laughs> it's so true though. It like, is so true. Like go away, but you know what? Just be, <laughs> be around. So when I snap my fingers, you can come over and hang out with me. Cause that's what I'll need you. <laughs> I know that's kind of the nice thing about traveling for poker in my mind is that we're all in the same hotel or at least, you know, very close together. We can go out and have a drink. And then it's done. So it can, I, for me, I can like get all of that socializing, see the people I care about, like, cause I'm lucky that so many of my friends are traveling on the same circuit. And then I can just go back to my life and be really quiet and completely like not talk to anyone for a really long time, <laughs> which is probably not healthy, but you know, there. Yeah. I wonder if yeah. sometimes you feel like it's a chore, like you mm. almost have to. Like, okay, well, I've got to go network and I've got to do this. Oh, well, networking. Yeah. I find networking terrifying. I really am bad at it. I have this really, I mean, I have a really bad memory as I've said many times and, uh, but it is such a problem. When I was working for a different poker company, there was a new boss and they, they had told me about the new boss over and over again. And then I was in Venice, I think at a poker tournament and (laughs) We also had a new assistant uh, at the same time and they brought up the boss to me and they introduced me to him again because apparently I'd already met him twice and I was blanking. I didn't even recognize his face and I called him by the assistant's name and everyone always thought I was doing it as this, I don't know, some sort of weird like power play, but like who does that to their boss? Not smart. 
not. And I mean, I did, I did not last at that uh, poker company, <laughs> I will say, <laughs> but I, I honestly didn't mean it. And I think it's partly like, just, I dislike it so much, the politics of that kind of thing. And also I'm just so bad at it that I get terrified and I forget everything. So yeah, I like to socialize. I'm not great at networking. Yeah. There's also a pressure all. now. I mean, I think that's actually one of the hardest things I've found having kids and balancing because there are there are opportunities that I've had over the last nine years to travel more, put myself out there more, uh, be part of the poker world more that I've declined because yeah. my kids and my family are more important to me. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely cost me in some places, you know, and then I get some FOMO where you're like, you know, because you're like, oh, I want to be there. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, like, I mean, I love like Tana Karn over at Run Good. For and sure. Tana's like, what always, they do is amazing. Yeah. They're, always, they're great. Like, it looks like such fun. And Tana approached me many years ago during one of the Global Poker Award shows and he introduced himself to me and we hit it off. And, and then, like, you know, obviously his series took off and he's always, he is like always asking me, he's like, hey, Tuck, you want to come here? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, listen, I'm going to London for 888 eight, eight, and, yeah. and I'm like, I, I just can't leave. I can't leave my wife and I can't leave the kids again. And I feel so excited. I, it's such a good time and I want to go, but these are opportunities that I pass up. And yeah. like I said, that balance, finding that balance can be really, really hard sometimes and frustrating, mm -hmm. to be honest. Anyway. Yeah. It would be nice to have like unlimited time. It would be amazing. I would accept so many more things and I would go and do a lot more as well. But yeah, in terms of just like time at home with my little girl or energy, just, yeah, we can't do everything. It was Besides. honestly, it was one of the real, I feel like everybody's COVID experience was different. Yeah. But for me, there were parts of it that like obviously were so uh, um, obviously agonizing and, and awful. Mm -hmm. Um, and like for everybody, but you know, on the whole, my COVID experience was amazing compared to, you know, everybody else. And right. there were many parts of COVID that I was like, I miss that. Yeah. Like, I really like, like, like what, like just a chance to slow down and like, yeah. you know, where it was like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, and I started just like, I got really handy. I would go to YouTube and I would learn how to like do woodwork. And I started building things <laughs> around the house, things that I never would do. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm like, I'm a Jewish kid from New York. I mean, we don't, like my, my dad never even, I never saw my dad even use a hammer. Okay. Um, so like I learned how to use this stuff and make fences and build things. And I was like, this is fun Good for you. And like, then I started like learning how to play, like I wanted to learn how to play guitar. Um, and a buddy of mine, uh, that I used to hike with, unfortunately he passed away young too, but he, he was a hiker and a poker player. And he just, he brought me, he knew I wanted to learn how to play guitar. So he just brought me, he had an extra guitar. He just brought it by one day Aww. said here. And I go, what? So then during COVID, I just like, I, I started like trying to learn how to play guitar. Wow. Um, I think my thumbs are too big though, but <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be it. I think, yeah, I think that's what it was, but it was just like, it was really nice to just slow down and be like, okay, what am I going to read today? Or what am I going to do around the house today? Wow. You know, I would go for yeah. like a daily rollerblade around the neighborhood. Oh my God. You know, I was just, I'm a little jealous of your COVID experience. I got my COVID experience that, was that amazing. Sounds really nice. Well, and I yeah. had kids and like, yeah. And there was also like an understanding, like, okay, we're all in the same house together and we're going to drive each other crazy. So there was this kind of understanding of like, 
nobody would take offense when you said, okay, can you leave me the fuck alone for an hour? <laughs> Which is really yeah. important. You've got to be able to say that. If you can't say that to somebody you live with, it, right. won't, it won't work. You have to be yeah. able to say to somebody you live with, okay, leave me alone. I still love you and I'll still love you in an hour, but I need an hour of me. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. It really yeah. is when you can't get out and you're kind of all trapped in there together. Right. Especially, God. So, huh. Anyway. Well, in terms of slowing down, I'm glad we kind of slowed down and actually had this nice conversation. We do this, you know, we have a glass of wine and we sit and we talk when we're out on the road together. But I don't know. I feel like I, I've asked some questions I wouldn't ask over a glass of wine. So this is good. <laughs> it definitely got some insight into who you are. And I appreciate that. That was actually all of our time. And that was our last question. So I hope it wasn't too, you know, deep and probing and, and personal for you. Not definitely not. Um, cool. Yeah, you know me. I will. Uh, I am happily to share with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're an open book, and and I, I love that about you. And please give my absolute best to your wife and kids because you know I am one of her biggest fans. She's got a lot of fans in poker. She really does. There's a lot of women in poker who absolutely adore your wife, Molly. So uh, I think she knows that. She's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, she's kind yeah. of. A, she's she's also kind of a big fucking deal. She is a big fucking deal. She really is. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to see you pretty soon. I think we may be going to Madrid again. Yes, I've already booked my flights. Nice one. So have I. So I will see you there. All right. Um, so thank you again, David. Thank everyone who is listening. And uh, I feel like we all know a lot more about the person behind the cards even better now. So join me next time on The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888 Poker. 